Greetings, friend. Thanks for joining us. I'm Karen Broadhead, founder and director of Mothers Who Know. All women have mother hearts. You are needed here because your light and desires matter. I want to personally invite you to thoughtfully act for yourself and come check out all of the wonderful in Mothers Who Know. Speaking of wonderful, welcome and come on into our Mothers Who Know Boundaries podcast series. We have created several awesome episodes for you by enlisting the help of our trusted friend, Ashley Lovett, clinician for the Worth Group here at Life Changing Services and Marriage Repair Instructor. Our hope is to increase your understanding and confidence around boundaries. The thought of setting a healthy boundary is something we can all vocalize, but how do we go about it? What does that really look like right where we live as we try to do our bumpy best in our relationships? Often, it feels kind of big and confusing to me. You may be surprised to discover that boundaries are ultimately just about you and how you prioritize feeling the spirit in your life, which is super cool. And one of the reasons we appreciate how Ashley teaches boundaries, because in Mothers You Know, we do the important work of owning our personal battlefield, discovering where our power lies by fighting the real battle. The real battle is to keep the spirit. When we keep the spirit, we win all the battles. It's neat to notice that we have been talking the language of boundaries here in Mothers You Know without saying the word boundary. Like, stay by the tree, own your field. Notice, just notice, stay in your truth, and you are the atmosphere angel darkness spheres because you discern the three spheres of power. There's my power, your power, and God's power. Whenever you step out of your sphere of power, you become miserable. And one of our favorite boundaries things to say that brings so much clarity and relief there's only one savior, and it's not you. You get to be the mother who fights with and for our savior and champion, Jesus Christ, to support his great work, to bring to pass the success of your family. We can cheerfully do those things that lie in our power, then stand still with assurance to see God's power revealed. Alrighty then. We would love your feedback. Enjoy the series and be sure to listen at the end of each episode so you don't miss how to find out more about our neat Q&A meeting with Ashley Lovett when our Boundaries podcast series concludes. Be sure to note your questions along the way and check out the show notes for some great info. Okay, let's get to it. Welcome. Oh, we're so glad you're joining us for this series on boundaries. It's just such an important thing to know. And it's really, when I talked to Ashley initially, I, I was talking to her and she said, you know, as I look through your mother, she knows things because she's not super familiar with it, but I've given her some resources to get more familiar with our mother, she knows things. And she said, you guys already talk about boundaries. You just don't say the word boundaries, but you're totally talking about boundaries. And I was like, that is so exciting to know. 
And so anyway, thanks for being here and for finding value in this. I was just saying before we started the recording, after taking these classes, especially after the last one, I totally had it on my radar. I am going to draw all that. I need to write all that down. I need to make sure that I can like try to pull my daughter up and teach it to her to see if I can just understand it better because it was so valuable just as it related to us personally right where we live and so but I, I didn't get to doing that but I have thought yeah I I was just saying before the recording it would be cool to actually just even set up an appointment with Ashley and say Ashley, can I just be vulnerable with you about some of the patterns in my life in relationships where I maybe it just has been that way for so long. I know after hearing these lessons that I don't understand this very well, but could you show me in my own life, help me discuss some things with you so I could figure that out. And so anyway, kind of excited to tell you about a class that Ashley has planned. So Ashley, what do you think? Well, I've been doing boundary tutoring, which is just what you described, where you can get a one-on-one -on -one session with me and we talk about your scenario and we go through steps to help figure out where you even need boundaries. And I'm really excited to turn that boundary tutoring into a class so there can be a group of people all learning together, but you can still bring your individual scenarios and we'll still work through that. I think it's going to be a really cool experience to be able to build your own boundaries around your own life and what's going on with you personally, but also have the support that groups and classes offer. Ah, that's brilliant. Yeah, because I learned so much more when like, you know, for instance, we're all here. If we're to share something, I would just feel like I'm totally learning so much just because she's talking about her stuff and I can see myself more clearly sometimes just listening to someone else rather than being nervous and talking about my stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I oh. think there's something really cool that happens in group dynamics. And, and we learn by speaking sometimes. So just talking through what's going on to a group of people sometimes helps us learn. And then also we learn by observing and watching other people speak through what they're going through. And so there's just, I think, a cool opportunity to learn from each other to learn for your, yourself and your specific scenario and to do some um, little pieces of homework that will help you gain clarity on where you can use boundaries in your life and how to implement them. So it'll be really cool. That's coming up in August or September, either late August or early September. So I'm excited. So great. Yeah. And we'll be putting all that information for you, have it for you and that's show notes of this. So you can just go check that out. All right. Okay, and yeah, I'm excited. Okay, we're going to turn it over to Ashley for this week's discussion. All right. So I wanted to start by looking at where we've been. So this is what we've talked about so far. We just learned about boundaries and what they are and definition of them, the different types of boundaries. We talked about boundaries with service. And interacting like with my kids who are needing a lot, serving my family is part of that. And how it's important to know what you have and to know what you can actually do when we're doing service. And then last week we talked about boundaries in our actions and our actions and our reactions with the drama triangle and things. 
And today we're going to kind of continue that talking about boundaries in communications and what it looks like to have boundaries in communication. As I was reading some of the mom power stuff, that idea of staying by the tree, of owning where you have control and making sure that you do that, this is the thing that kept coming to my mind, was making sure that I have boundaries in how I communicate and what I communicate and when I communicate it. So we're going to talk through some of the different ideas that come along with boundaries and communications. The first one being, if you don't have the spirit, don't talk. And that's kind of where it, it ends on the slide. But the rest of the thought is, if you don't have the spirit, don't talk, don't listen, and don't even think. We want to make sure we're connected with the spirit. Then we're going to talk about how Satan likes to get into our communication and what it looks like when he's distorting our conversations with other people, what it looks like when he's distorting the things going on in our mind. And we're going to look at a couple of tools for communication, things so that we can do to prepare to be able to have successful interactions with individuals where we keep ourselves, where we stay by the tree, where we stay in control of those things we have control over. Okay, so three ways that the Holy Ghost can affect our conversations. I want to start off with this acknowledgement that we have that the Holy Ghost speaks to us, that he's there. He has the ability to be our constant companion. And this whole lesson kind of starts with that foundational belief that he can be with us all the time. So if he's going to be with us, then he's going to be affecting the things that are that we're interacting with, including our conversations and interacting with other people. So a few ways that we see that he can affect our conversations is constraining us to say hard things. So sometimes he does recommend that we say something hard, prompting us to not speak. And then always being constant, being present the whole time throughout the conversation. And let's look at the first one. Constraining us to say hard things. I have just a couple scriptural examples that we're going to read through. And then we're going to ask the question, when have you felt constrained to say hard things in your life? You don't have to share detailed stories, but pay attention to how it feels. How do you feel when the Spirit is talking to you, when you are feeling constrained to say hard things? Okay, so in Helaman chapter 8, verses 11, He's commanded to speak more to them, even though he's maybe ready to be done. In Second Nephi chapter 4, he's constrained to speak. In Jacob chapter 2, we read, Yea, it grieveth my soul and causes me to shriek with shame before the presence of my Maker, that I must testify unto you concerning the wickedness of your hearts. And also it grieveth me that I must use so much boldness of speech concerning you. Wherefore, it burdeneth my soul that I should be constrained because of the strict commandment which I have received from God. Sometimes we have difficult conversations because the Spirit says, hey, you need to say these things. And the key is to be able to identify when it's the Spirit that's telling me here's some hard things to say and when it's a distortion coming in from Satan saying, you should say these things. So thinking about a time when you very clearly know that you are being constrained to say a hard thing, how did it feel? What did that look like for you emotionally or if there were body sensations I always have sensations in my body associated with saying hard things I want to give you just a minute and if someone has an experience they can share or just how they feel when they know they're being constrained to say hard things I got something yeah for me I'm just oh well it's like I have this high chest throat feeling and I feel nervous uncomfortable. I feel like I know I need to say it, but I'm not sure how it's going to go. And it is so 
quick after I have the thought to be constrained to say something hard that I start thinking of all the things that could go wrong and what happens when I say hard things before that maybe didn't really go right and I automatically think that I'm going to do it wrong. Fascinating. So you start off with this like, oh, I've got this feeling, chest and throat idea. It comes into your mind to say this hard thing. And then immediately there's all of this, all of these reasons why you shouldn't. All of this fear-based things that are coming in saying, we've said hard things before and it didn't go well. And you've said, how, what could go wrong now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if it is the spirit constraining me to do it, I have noticed that, yeah, I will... I don't necessarily have a greater ability to communicate it, but I have a greater ability to present it with empathy, like to think, like to draw out my intent is not this. I hope this doesn't come across like this because what I really am trying to communicate is this kind of a feeling, this kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Anyway, the spirit will help me do that, to think of how to get ready to say it and even during it when I think oh gosh I don't know what they're thinking yeah. you know to because a lot of times they don't have anything to say and so you're thinking that was bad you know yeah so, so it just helps me to come back around with and the spirit helps me to know what to say when I come back around to just check on it and to to just reiterate I wish Maybe I was the better messenger, you know? Yeah. But, but this is what my intention is. And, and I know that just because that's my intention doesn't mean that it's not going to impact you a different way. Yeah. It brings you some empathy and some clarity into how it might impact others when you're acting with the spirit. And we can bring in last week's word too, when you're acting with the spirit as a challenger rather than as a persecutor or as a victim. That when you're in a healthy communication dynamic, you're able to have the spirit and it opens up new understanding that maybe you didn't have before. Yeah. Yesterday, as I walked into church, we had state conference last week. And so this week, yesterday was fast and testimony meeting. And I had forgotten that. We definitely didn't observe the fasting. I got to church and went, oh, shoot. And the second he said, it's fast and testimony meeting, I had a message come into my mind and my heart that needed to be said. It was Mother's Day, which can be a lovely day or a super triggering day. And the idea that a whole bunch of people are about to talk lovely things about mothers, I just, the spirit said, you have to acknowledge the part that's also triggering. There are people that need to know that they're not alone with this triggered side of it. And I went, I'm about to get up during testimony meeting and say, what? <laughs> Excuse me. I'm not sure. <clears throat> but I got that, that my heart racing sensation, my throat a little like, okay, if you insist, sensation, right? As I tapped into the spirit and asked it to guide me and I got up there and I said the things that I felt constrained to say. They were perfectly lovely things that needed to be said. And there are many people, as I was bearing the testimony, that I knew were hearing it, that it's something that they needed to hear personally. And it was a message that was helping them. But that backing away, if I had been constrained, 
they wouldn't have had. Anyway, so for me, that's one of the things that I notice is when I'm feeling constrained to say something that's hard, I get like a heart racing and a tightness in my throat. But then when I check in with the spirit, it says, nope, I need you to do this. There's a reason to say it, whether it's so that I can talk it out and get something important for myself by processing verbally, or whether it's because there's someone else that this is a message that needs to be heard. So those, that's one of the ways that I feel when I'm feeling constrained. The next way the Holy Ghost might come in is by prompting us to not speak. So let's look at some examples of that one. Okay. In John chapter 8, we read, This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. He was not going to respond. Matthew chapter 15, we read, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And then in Mark chapter 15, And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against you. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Times, especially as individuals who are striving to be Christ-like, we feel like our job is to ensure other people are understanding everything that we're doing. (laughs) Understanding our motives, understanding our ideas, understanding why it's important that they adjust or change, whether this is like marriage relationships or children relationships or coworker relationships. Sometimes we feel like we have to. The the best way to communicate is to just always make sure that I'm explaining, explaining, explaining. And yet there are times when we see these three examples are all from Christ. In our last general conference, we talked, there was a talk called the peace, peacemaking. I can't remember the exact title of it. It happened in Saturday, Sunday afternoon. But in there, they talked about how sometimes being the peacemaker means we are not saying things that might be hard to say. And so how does it feel when there is something hard that could be said that you're being prompted not to say? I have more. And the reason I had stuff the first time is I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the same conversation that I had just recently, right? And in it, I was constrained to speak. And I was also said not to say that, like, don't say that, you know? So it's just kind of fresh to me. I just feel like, yeah, I was. So the way that made me feel was, well, I just thought it totally relates and makes so much sense, right? The the idea that came to my mind that I could bring up. And we were traveling back from my brother getting married. So my husband and I were in the car and we were traveling back. And so we were having this conversation. And it was a conversation about things that usually are pretty tricky. And I just thought, yeah. So I just thought what he just said, like I live like parallel in my own lane over here. And what he just said, like I experienced that, but it from, from a diff, different angle. And maybe if I said that and explained that, he could see the relevance of it yeah but as I I thought oh yeah that's just so such a good 
that's a, I think he might be able to see it because he's like lives with me. Right. But yeah. The, but the spirit, as I, I drove thinking, should I say that? Should I say that? Cause I, I did think you need to be having help here. And so it was super obvious, like, yeah, don't say it. And even why kind of the thought I shouldn't say it is that my motive isn't completely pure with why I'm saying that. So you had this thought and very logically it made sense that you could say it, but you felt uh, like something stopping you. And then a thought came into your mind to give you clarity as to why not to do something. Yeah. What did it feel like that thing that stopped you? It felt smarter, smarter than me. Yeah. Yeah. It felt smarter. Like it didn't matter what my desire was. Like that didn't matter or what I thought was cool. What mattered was, you know, that we just leave that over there. Yeah. Smarter than you. Your desire didn't affect it. It was just about, this is a smarter option. Very nice. Thank you. Any other insights onto how you personally feel when it's the spirit telling you not to say something? Leave something. I think it might apply. My mother has schizophrenia. She was diagnosed when I was 12. And most of the conversations that I had with her were those, don't speak. And there was so much anger and frustration and pain with the conversation that I was not in a good place, kind of like what Karen's saying, like, this is not a healthy thing for you to talk about, no matter who was right or wrong, you know? And just listening to what the conversation is right now, it's interesting how <clears throat> me now, 40 years old, gets to, gets to see how, how I've been changing through that experience because at points I was more closer to her and now I'm a little farther apart and how understanding that she can't communicate the way I'd want and the boundary that I give myself to not speak or to react to whatever she says is actually really freeing. So it took some time slowly kind of understanding that. What a beautiful sentence. I want to hang it up behind me. The boundary I gave myself to not speak or to react was freeing. It allowed yourself you to experience things in a completely different way. Thank you. So as we've talked about these last two slides, some of the emotions, some of the experiences that we've used to describe what it feels like to feel the spirit have been the last two when it's saying don't speak both of you described it in words stop don't say that it's not helpful right it's been a thought that has come and been like that's not actually going to help here it brought clarity it felt smarter and then we also had feelings of nervous heart racing like i had to do something and i was nervous about what it was going to look like which we don't often associate with the spirit like typically when people say the spirit will bring you calm the spirit will bring you peace which i i fully support that is true but sometimes it's also speaking to us in these other ways it's bringing heart racing it's stopping you from doing something in a way that's very like nope this is just the smarter way to do it it's bringing some thoughts into your mind it's giving you clear directions it's making you feel nervous about what will happen as i do this so as we talk today about identifying personal boundaries for my communication. What's going to be key is identifying how it feels when the spirit talks to you. 
because it's going to feel different for each of us. And it's not going to be able to be as blanket as I feel calm because when I'm being constrained to speak something, I rarely feel calm. <laughs> it's not how I would describe that. But for me, there's always a peace with it. Even when my heart is racing and I just need to do this, I feel at peace. Like, yes, this is what I need to do. Or if I'm getting that full stop, you're not going to say that. I feel at peace. You're right. I should not say that. I can feel at peace. So for me, my like North Star for is it the spirit talking is, do I feel at peace? Even with the heart racing, even with that, is there kind of a, a calm assurity that that is correct? But that could be different for each people. So as we talk today, if someone's describing their experiences with the spirit and it doesn't match yours, that's okay because he's going to talk to us in different ways. The third way that we often see the spirit in communication is kind of a like a catch-all. He can be our constant companion. We're told that he can be. In Ephesians, we read, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good and edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And in Proverbs, we read, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. When I read these with the lens of keeping the spirit in my communication, it seems as though it's telling me when I've got the spirit with me and I'm ensuring that I don't talk, I don't speak, I don't think unless I, I don't listen, I don't speak, I don't think unless I have the spirit, that I have this assurance that I can get to where no corrupt communication is coming out of my mouth. That the things which I'm actually explaining to those people that I love dearly are good and edifying and minister grace. That I can turn away wrath and prevent us from being stirred up. Which when we're talking about Satan and how he inter interacts with us, stirring up hearts is how it's used quite often. And so keeping the spirit with me is going to ensure that I'm able to avoid having my own heart stirred up as well as possibly those around me if they're also keeping the spirit. So how would having the spirit and all of your communications change that? How would it change those communications? How might it feel? Or what might it look like for you? I think it has to be really personal because it can't be based on how the person's receiving it because that's what you're going to talk about next. Okay. It really has to be that being personally in tune with the spirit, being personally instructed, guided, directed, what you know, and to then let be let it go, be quiet, you know, and not because we don't have any control once it's we we've spoken that, yeah, or not spoken that, or whatever, and we just don't have that's out of our control, so we can't judge how the other person's receiving it because often message sent is not message received. Absolutely. Yes, that it's a very personal thing. I have to make sure that I'm doing what I can, that I'm discerning whether or not I'm connected with the spirit because as you just said, we can't control the other person. We can't control how they're going to be hearing it or how they'll respond to it. Why can it be a challenge to have the spirit with us when we communicate? I feel like there are so many things that go throughout your day that test you to see if you will lose the spirit. <laughs> One time, I remember that's coming to my mind, we were about to speak in church. And, well, getting to church was kind of hectic. 
And then right before I was supposed to give my talk, one of my children had to go out to the bathroom. And I was just telling myself, okay, okay, this is a test if I am going to get frustrated and lose the spirit or if I'm just going to stay calm and let it just roll off my back. But I think throughout the day, we have many, many opportunities to keep him with us or lose him. And I just wanted to respond to your question that what I've noticed when I have the spirit in my communication, I am able to just, I feel like Jesus Christ is my shield and I can hear what the other person is saying and not take it on me. I can stay in my own boat. I can recognize that that is what they are struggling with or going through and it's not mine. And I can just love them. But when I don't, that's when I get worried. That's when I try to fix. That's when I, that's when I take it on. Thank you. When we have, when you have the spirit, you are able to stay in your own boat and love them. And then when you don't, that's when you start taking it on and feeling like you have to fix it. You have to change it. So with the spirit, you're able to separate and show that love and be able to tune into all of that side of you versus when you lose the spirit, which it sounds like sends you right into drama triangle mode where there's no real communication happening anyway. You're just rescuing, you're just fixing, you're just depending on each individual, right? Suddenly the victim or suddenly the persecutor. Thank you for sharing that. Any other thoughts on why it can be difficult to have the spirit? Oh, I didn't even touch on what you were saying before that all of the different opportunities that we have to decide whether we'll have the spirit with us constantly or not have the spirit with us. You use the word test and I, in my brain, just changed it to challenge because I, for me, it's vital to remember that Satan is right there, <laughs> that his little minion in our state conference last week, we had the visiting general authority talk about, well, if our church is organized in such a way that we make sure we have the 10 being watched over and the 50 being watched over and the hundreds being watched over and the thousands being watched over. Why would we assume Satan hasn't organized that same way? And I thought, oh, I like that recognition that there's probably a minion specifically watching over me to make sure I have the worst possible time <laughs> to make sure that I, I have so many opportunities to lose the spirit. And so it became like a challenge for me. Like, okay, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see who's going to win this battle. So that's how it motivates me. But the idea of it, like, it's a test. When, and am I going to pass this test? Am I going to win today? Am I going to win this battle or lose this battle? What's going to happen here? I like that. I have a really funny story that Joy D. Jones, she was the former primary general president. And she gave a talk, I think it was at BYU Education Week. I can't remember what the talk was, but it was talking about light and darkness. And she shared this story where this, I think it was a dad and a son at the store and a lady behind, he could hear the dad say something like, I can't remember what the, the son's name was, but like, you can do this, Bobby, just wait till we get to the car. You can do this, calm down. You can do this because the child was kind of being disruptive. And the lady behind, she's like, wow. I'm just so impressed with how you are reacting to this. And, and the guy said something like, my, ch my name is Bobby, not the child. But he was like, 
Like you, he's even oh, said something like, you can get a treat when we get to the car. You can do this. <laughs> like, but he didn't want to let this instant just switch him and make him go to the dark side. I thought that was really fun. And sometimes we have to do that. We have to talk ourselves out of that. Like, you can do this. Just wait to get it. That's so funny that it ended up being himself who's talking through, not the child. And what a wonderful example of of staying in control, like recognizing if I if I yell at my child right now, if I whatever impulse he was having, it's probably not with this spirit. I can do this. I'm just gonna make. I'll it. find that talk and I'll I'll reference to it. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. One of the metaphors I like to use for communication, I learned it from Maurice, is the Tetris communication principle. So I think about the old game Tetris. I feel like we even talked about this last week, but we're going to talk about it again. I always played it where it had like a little shadow that would show me where it was going to fall. And so I would see, I would see, oh, I need my shadow to move over just a little bit and turn. And then I would push the buttons and then I always hit the fast button. So it would just appear at the bottom instead of slowly drift downward. And sometimes it would land exactly where I wanted it to. And sometimes it would not. And when we're talking in communication, when we have the spirit with us, that's how we get those pieces to land. Not because we're such great orators and communication is our specialty, but because the spirit comes in and says, hey, let me slide this piece right into the mind of the person you're trying to talk to so that it'll make sense for them. So we each receive communication in different ways. And the Holy Ghost helps us to position that communication in such a way that it slides right into their brain the right place for example in general conference we each hear things that we need to hear but not necessarily exactly how the speaker says it we're often misquoting our general authorities because we each learn what the holy ghost wants us to learn and it's not it's it's not because we just weren't listening well enough it's because we were listening with this tetris example where it slid that piece right into where we needed to have it and that's what we learned from it, was from the Spirit, not from the words. So when we have the Spirit in our communication, it's far less about the words the person is saying and far more about the, what the Spirit is telling us in that moment. Any thoughts or questions on that metaphor? I was just going to say it's so wonderful to be thinking, even if I'm not very good at saying this, it's really not my job to, you know, have it be received in the right way like if i can just keep the spirit then the spirit can do that work over there with that analogy you just used so good yes i love that it takes the pressure off of us of trying to find the exact perfect words to explain it the exact right way so that i can convince him to understand exactly what i'm saying and more puts the pressure on okay spirit come into this conversation bless him with the gift of tongues so that as i'm saying what i need to say it it he's able to interpret what's going on and then we can communicate the fact that we ever try to communicate without the spirit just knowing how everybody uses words differently even just in this meeting we went from test to challenge we're saying the exact same thing with the same application of the principle but my brain hears one word differently and interprets that meaning differently and so we have to have the spirit with us to really be able to interpret what's actually trying to be communicated to us. I really like what you just said, because I feel like I am filled with fear a lot of the time. And I've noticed that my 
my voice can be a weapon against Satan. He tries to make me not say when I think I can't say it the right way or try to think about the right way of saying it. I just get so caught up when really, if I have the spirit and I am doing it out of love and kindness, then it's going to be okay. Or I don't have to worry about how it's received because it was in the spirit. I love that. I feel like that will help me with the fear that Satan tries to use. Thank you. Thank you. That fear of saying the wrong thing. I almost think it's universal (laughs) that at some point we're all like, oh, but what if I say the wrong thing? What if I hurt them? What if I like misrepresent? But when we have the spirit, it's not so much. I don't have to have that fear. I can just speak with the spirit. I think that that there's a level of trust and faith that needs to be there to communicate this way, where you totally, and I would love to hear any, you know, testimonies how people have arrived there, but where you get to the point where all of this is true and you don't feel like it's up to you. Like that you're all alone in this, you know, that, that you do have the advocate, you know, in the conversation in terms of our Savior, Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, so that we don't feel so alone and we can feel confident that, you know, and, and I think that's one of the lies that I do hear is that, well, this is all up to you. It's kind of make it or break it, you know, you know, and, and obviously it's not because of just what you said about the way everybody hears something. I, I mean, everyone thinks when they go to general conference that they, uh, the talk was just for them. There's one talk that you say, oh, that was just for me, that talk. And obviously that, you know, that, that can't be because they're not writing just one talk for just me <laughs> kind of thing. So I, that, that was just my comment. And, and sometimes that gets played upon too, the fact that we're still in the process of developing that faith and trust. Absolutely. That faith and that trust and that in myself, but also in, in Christ and also in the spirit, right? I think we have to have a level of trust of ourselves that I know that I'm doing a good job at staying by the tree. I know that I'm doing a good job at living within my values. And so as I do this and as I stay connected and discern if the spirit is there, I know that I can trust myself to say things in a manner that I'm not going to be embarrassed about later. And then we have to exercise trust in the spirit. I also trust that the spirit will take my words where they need to go and that the spirit will do the rest of the work. I just have to show up representing my with, within my value system version of myself. And so it takes some trust in myself as well as in the spirit, which takes time on both of those and practice with both of those. We're going to look back at our Tetris example for what Satan likes to do in these moments. So here he comes with the pieces. Instead of getting them all aligned like the spirit can do, if the spirit is not with each person in the conversation, the pieces will never fit because that that person, that spirit assigned just to you to torment you because you're one of the 10 they're in charge of, they will make sure that the, the things you're saying get distorted just enough to land in the wrong place in the person's mind that you're talking to. 
if the spirit's not present with both individuals, communication cannot happen. Because we receive communication in different ways, Satan likes to twist the pieces to ensure that they don't slide into your brain in a helpful way. So for example, if your husband comes home and he says, well, what did you do today? And you hear, you haven't done anything all day. That was a distortion that just happened, right? He, his exact words were, what did you do today? And all of the meaning that was assigned to it, everything that you heard with, oh, well, you haven't done anything all day, all came from somewhere else. That was all a distortion that landed exactly where your little tormenting minion wanted it to land on exactly your personal thing. Mine would have been, you haven't cleaned the house all day because that's my personal insecurity that my house is never clean. <laughs> and so, so, well, what have you done today? It would have been, you haven't even cleaned the house. Why are you so lazy? Because the house is never good enough, right? That's my personal insecurity that my personal little tormenting person loves to throw it onto. The example, the proof, miscommunication happens all the time. That's the proof that things are being distorted, that it's possible for those satanic distortions to be there because we have miscommunications and they often result in escalating interactions. When we miscommunicate and it escalates, so now I'm defensive and he's defensive and now I'm raising my voice just a little bit because if you could just hear me, let me just try explaining it a different way because clearly you're not understanding. And he comes back a little bit louder with, I'm trying to understand, but you're literally saying this. Anytime it's escalating, that's simply an example of these satanic distortions that are happening with my Tetris pieces. That I probably am saying exactly what I'm trying to say. That's not what he's hearing though. And it's less about what I'm saying and more about who's in the room with me. Is it a satanic distortion happening or is it a spirit-guided interaction that's going on? So in that moment, stop talking? Yes. Just always. Say we got to <laughs> up. We'll come back. We'll, we'll talk about exactly what to do. But yeah, the short answer is you stop. If you don't have the spirit, don't talk and don't listen and don't think. You connect back to the spirit. How does Satan interfere in our communications? Well, first... We know that he's invested in ruining, ruining relationships. So if my communication is leading to this interaction being ruined in a way that's not like, oh, this is clearly from the spirit. We need to take a minute and more in a, I need to leave and, and I'm feeling all stirred up. It's just been destroyed. That's what happens when Satan gets involved. He's really, really good at getting us chemically altered so that we are functioning out of our animal brain and not in our frontal lobe. So whatever was said that triggered whatever was triggered in me that chemically altered me to where I'm no longer connected with the spirit and I'm more just reacting out of those fight, flight, freeze, protect instincts. That's what he's really good at doing. It's easy to focus on whether or not the other person is doing things right instead of on our own responses to the difficult situations. So he likes to come in and interfere in those ways. His one of Satan's favorite tactics to use on women is torment. He loves to torment. And one of his favorite tormenting tools is fear. He'll come in and he'll say, oh, they'll never learn if I don't get it all out. I'm afraid that this will never work out because he's never going to understand my side. Or in that beautiful example we had at the beginning, Karen, when you were talking about, well, I just, I knew that if he could see it from my side, I was afraid he wouldn't, they won't understand if I don't. Get my point across. If I don't come at it again, there's no way he can understand. 
Something that was hard for me to accept, but I now have a testimony of it, is when I'm attempting to be the teacher, I need to teach something. I have abandoned the Holy Ghost, whose role is the teacher, and said, no, 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 I'll do that. Let me be the teacher. And so I've, I've, I've taken the power from the Holy Ghost and just given it over to myself, often in a satanically distorted way that I just need to teach it to him. I just need to make sure that she understands. I just need to say it again five different ways because it's my job to make sure. And when I take that, it's almost this backdoor, didn't see it coming version of pride. Nope, the spirit can't teach him. I can teach him. And I can only teach him if I use my words in certain ways. And if it's not working out, it's because I'm not using my words in certain ways. When the truth is, the spirit is the teacher, not me. So I connect with the spirit. I say what I need to into my little, my little spirit. And then he takes it over and teaches. But it's never my job. My job is to just make sure I'm talking with the spirit and I'm paying attention to if I'm being constrained to say hard things or if I'm being told to pause. Or if there's a middle ground in there somewhere, the spirit will guide me in all of my communications. Any thoughts on that? Well, I've got one more slide about what the torment might sound like. Yeah. Just a question on what you just said. I'm just thinking of, you know, mothers with younger kids hearing that. And I'm thinking, because there are so many, like if you have many personalities, right? And they're all right, right there. And you're trying to teach something and you want the spirit to teach. I just thought, my question is, will it be different? Because I get, I think that it totally applies with any age of person, right? But there's a, yeah, there's just a, I can see in a mom's brain just hearing what you just said, thinking, okay, wait a minute. So you can't just trust that i i think i have the spirit i i'm i'm feeling good about that and i'm going to teach this and but yeah the holy ghost is going to help them understand it even though there are all these different children right but then you know the very next hour you see i don't think they heard me do you know i mean i don't think they heard what i just said or I don't think that they understood what I just said. So it's just a, you know, kind of a, I think with younger kids realizing that even though the spirit is doing his job and you're doing your job, there might be multiple times you say the very same thing, right? It's not yeah. that, well, the Holy Ghost is going to help you get that eventually. I'll just say it once. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. I, <laughs> I, put thought into what might it sound like if Satan was tormenting me with young children. And these were the ones I came up with. But I also like this thought that you put into how would it feel if the spirit is prompting me with young children? And I don't have a slide for that one. So I'm going to ask your guys' thoughts. But these are the torments that I could identify that happened to me personally. Are you going to let him get away with that? Like, he just did this thing. It was so disrespectful. Are you going to let him get away with that? When I hear that, 
that's going to be a torment. That's probably not coming from the spirit. The spirit's going to help me identify what needs to happen. Or you can't let her talk to you like that. Don't you dare. Or he will never understand you if you don't just tell him and tell him and tell him and tell him again. He's never going to understand. Those are some of the torments that I experienced working with my kids that lead me to feeling frustrated, lead me to reacting rather than connecting to the spirit, and lead me to assuming the role that I have to be the one to take the responsibility for always making sure I say the right thing. With the spirit, with parenting, this is my personal belief and and any thoughts you guys have, please. But my personal belief is when I'm working with communication boundaries with the spirit and my children. I personally say, hey, Heavenly Father, you've known this child a lot longer than I have, and I am perplexed and struggling, and I don't know what to do right now. Like, I don't, I just don't have a clue. So what's, what's helpful for this kid? What does this kid need to hear? And how can I say it? How can I make sure we have the spirit so that they can hear it? And I always turn to him always. I don't always do that. That's always my goal is to turn to him and to get that help and that direction from the spirit. Because I have only known my child for 10 years and he's known her for a whole lot longer. Or I've only known my child for four years or I've only known my child for 20 years, right? I've only known them for this long, but Heavenly Father has known them for a whole lot longer. And so when I turn to him and I, I ask for spirit-guided parenting, my parenting does the exact same thing that we were talking about earlier, that it gives me thoughts that are clarity, things that are smarter than I am come to my mind. It tells me when to say things and when not to say things. My snarky remarks of, well, I told you so, <laughs> go, that's not one you should say right now. <laughs> Here's a better one that come into my mind when I'm connected with the spirit in parenting. And it feels a lot like all of the other things. When there's hard things that I'm constrained to say, I get that same little flutter in my chest saying, okay, you do need to say this to her. This is a topic that you need to broach. We do need to have this discussion. I don't need to do it right now necessarily. <laughs> I need to do it when prompted by the spirit is the appropriate time. But that, those interactions feel a whole lot differently than the behavior right now. Are you really going to let him get away with that? Instead, with the spirit I hear, that might be something that we can address. Like, let's look up different ways that we can help with this behavior. We can prep him for it later. Yeah. I was really shocked one day when I realized just because it sounds really churchy and spiritual in your mind, like they need to know that we don't treat people like that. Or, you know, just because it sounds like something that, you know, comes from the religious side of you doesn't mean that it has to be said. I think some of us have kind of just thought any thought we have that sounds kind of like a church lady, that's what this, then you say those things, you know? Yeah. And anyway, it was, it was really an eye-opening thing for me when I realized, you know what? Of course, the adversary would be totally connected into what I value and, you know, my religious background and tying religion and following the savior and doing all those kinds of things. And so when someone's not doing that and I, you know, might not hear something like they're totally disrespecting you, but 
I don't think they've learned that part of something or other, right? So anyway, that was really big to me to think you don't have to sound like, like it's, it's going to feel a certain way. And you're going to have this feeling of being constrained, but not because, yeah, I think I'm doing my job good enough. Let me tell you that again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, what I, a couple years ago, had someone tell me this, and I believe it to be true, but I don't know if I can say it as eloquently as they did, that when we look at just like Newton's laws, an object in motion tends to stay in motion, that it's easier to just keep an object moving that's moving. Sometimes I think one of Satan's favorite tactics is to take something we have already agreed or already believe or this church principle that we've already placed into our life and then just give it a little bit of a shove rather than stop and say, no, all of this isn't true and try to change the direction. It's easier to take an object that's in motion and keep it in motion, just shove it off course a little bit. And so what you're just saying about just because it sounds like something a church lady might say doesn't mean it's something that the spirit's bringing to me right now and paying attention to to the idea that sometimes satan can give us just a little bit of a shove that's getting us off course even with words that might sound like they're helpful or might seem like they're correct i see this quite often in those like platitudes enjoy every minute of it right or it's all gonna be okay or i one time had a woman come sit on my couch and tell me all i need to do is accept that that my husband has his own ideas but if i can convince him that my ideas are his ideas we're gonna be okay that's it's not actually healthy dynamics at all <laughs> and so sometimes sometimes we have thoughts that just feel like they're probably right but that doesn't necessarily mean they need to be expressed in that moment or that they are correct principles for that application. So this idea, having the spirit as our constant companion in our communications is simple enough to say, but actually implementing it, actually make it happen, actually making it happen can be tricky. So here's some thoughts on practicing and preparing. We're taught when we are prepared, we shall not fear. So that fear of what if I say the wrong thing or what if I ruin my kid or what if I don't say the right thing, all of those fears can be abated as we prepare for them. This is how we prepare. We begin with the end in mind for specific conversations, also just for how we hope to be in the future. I want to be a person who controls my temper as a mom. I don't want to be someone who yells personally. So that's my end in mind. There's my value system. I don't like to yell. I'm going to start there and work my way backwards. So we take some time to clarify our GPS destination. Where do we want to go? What kind of person we want to be? Where do we want this conversation to go? What are we hoping to communicate? How do we hope to be at the end of the conversation? Regardless of how the other person responds, how are you going to be when that conversation is over? And then it is your responsibility to keep the spirit with you even if the other person does not, which was already expressed earlier, and I really appreciated that. But then this second part, and withdraw if the spirit withdraws. That if you can tell that either you're about to step out of your own value system, you've already decided how you want to be at the end. If you're about to not meet that goal personally, then you step aside. 
you stop the conversation, you take a minute to breathe, whatever pausing for this to connect with the spirit looks like for you to ensure that the spirit is there with you. And if it's not with the other person, don't bother yet. There's no reason to try to communicate if someone doesn't have the spirit, because it doesn't matter what you say, it will be distorted. So there's no reason to try. Don't do that. We withdraw if the spirit withdraws. Then we can prepare for actual conversations. So this is one tool, just preparing for conversation. If you know you have a conversation and it's going to be difficult, whether it's with a spouse or your child or a coworker, you can prepare for it. You start by just taking a piece of paper, folding it down the middle and drawing a line. At the top, you write down the, this thing that you're preparing for. If you know that every single time, I'll use a personal example, every single time my daughter comes at me with whining, why? I lose it. I cannot, I cannot get through that conversation. So if you know that, you can prepare for those conversations in advance as well. So whether it's one that you have coming up soon or whether it's one that you know you always end up stepping outside your dignity. You always end up stepping outside your values or losing battles. Those three things are used synonymously often when you prepare for them. So at the top, you write down that thing that you're preparing for. On one side, you just write down what you're going to say. This is what I want to say. So, hey, go clean your room, please. On the other side, write what you think the other person will say. You are an intelligent person with the ability to observe and make decisions based on what you think will happen. You're probably correct with those observations, especially if you've got the spirit helping you out through this. So what do I think the other person will say? I think she's going to say no with a little whiny sound in there. And then how will I respond to that? I go back to my side. How am I going to respond when she says that? And how will she respond? What's, what do I think she's going to do when I say this? What do I think? And you just repeat that over and over. So you work your way through the conversation. And if you're able to get through the conversation and practice having dignified responses, practice staying within your value system and responding, then you start it again. And maybe they responded differently this time. And so you practice that one. And what will it sound like? And what will it feel like? And it feels a little silly to write down this like fake script of what might happen in conversation. But as you begin to do that and explore the different ways that you can respond, your brain learns different ways that it can respond. And so it starts putting those different ways into its filing cabinet. So in the moment, they're there for you to pull from. It gives you this chance to build new pathways in your brain in a way that's not high stakes. I'm just writing down on a piece of paper. So I've maintained my clarity. I've made sure my chemicals are okay because it's just me sitting at 10 o'clock at night and the kids are asleep and I'm taking a minute to plan for this or whenever you're able to have that clarity, right? I'm just practicing and I'm teaching my brain this new way of approaching things. Then when we get in the moment and we're going through the actual conversations, the next thing we need to practice for is what to do if I begin to feel myself losing the spirit or the conversation losing the spirit. How do I plan for that? So as you're writing down these great responses and I'm teaching my brain how to save those, every once in a while, practice one where you start getting defensive or the other person starts responding angrily. So you can practice, what will I say in those moments? What am I going to do to pause the conversation? Here are some examples. I might say, these are all just prepared, planned and advanced responses. Prepared responses are my favorite personal boundary. 
because we are creatures of habit and we can make some assumptions that are usually accurate into how other people will behave, we can also plan what we will do when other people behave that way. So here's some ideas. We can say, please wait a second. I really want to hear what you're saying and understand what you're saying. You just slow down. Marie says, use your hands at a 45 degree angle and do breaks in the snow kind of pumping. But hang on just a second. I really want to understand what you're saying. I need some time to consider a few things. Please hold on while I get a piece of paper for the four square listening tool, which we're going to talk about next. I can see that you're having strong feelings. So I'm going to wait to continue this conversation until later. You can say that to them if that feels appropriate. You can say that to yourself. Hey, Ashley, I'm having some strong feelings. I'm reacting to this conversation. So we're going to wait and continue it at a later time. I can see you're not in a place where we can discuss this. So let's revisit it at... Again, you can say that to a person or to yourself. I would like some time to think about what you have said. Can we talk about this again? Sometimes in conversations, we get this idea that the conversation has started now and therefore we have to sit on the couch getting more and more worked up until the conversation ends. But when we shift our boundaries to allow us to always make sure we have the spirit and that the priority is keeping the spirit, not finishing the conversation. Then we have this time where we can say, I actually need to pause to think about this and connect with the spirit. So can I come talk to you about this again tomorrow or in an hour? Or I just need 10 minutes to step away for a second and connect. Having the spirit is our priority. And the conversation waits until we have it, until we have that spirit with us. Okay. One tool you can use in the middle of a conversation is called the four square listening tool. And it looks like this. So you get a piece of paper, and this time you're going to divide it into four sections. Section one is things he says that I feel the need to disagree with. So whether you're talking to a coworker, your husband, your child, the things that person says that I feel the need to disagree with. Quadrant two is things I think of saying that's probably not going to help. Quadrant three, things he's saying that might be inspired. In quadrant four, things I think of saying that might be inspired. So what we do in this, we pause. Can I grab a piece of paper real quick? I'd like to take notes. I really want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. And then in quadrant one, the things that he says that I feel the need to disagree with, we got to get them down. Because sometimes there's going to be a reason to disagree. And sometimes there's going to be a satanic distortion that's coming out. Like when he says, what did you do today? And I hear you're lazy and nothing got done today. Well, when I write down, you're lazy and nothing got done today, I can go, wait, that didn't, that's not actually what he said. That's a distortion. Cross it out. That's not something that happened, right? So quadrant run is important. If you and the person that you're talking to are doing these, don't share quadrant one, one with each other. It's not necessary. Most of them are distortions. Why am I going to say this is what Satan? No, we just get it out. Quadrant two things I'm thinking of saying that probably will not help. We have to get those thoughts out of our head because as long as they're taking up space in our head, we're not having the opportunity for the spirit to come in and get more productive thoughts going on in our head. So we have to get them out as well. So, well, I was at home all day doing X, Y, and Z. What did you do? You late? No, that's not going to help. That's not actually <laughs> beneficial, right? So I might write something, just <clears throat> get it out. Okay, and then I can stop. And again, we're not going to share that with someone. 
We're going to resist the urge to glance over at their paper and see the mean things that they're thinking about writing, but we're not, we're not going to do that. We're going to get those thoughts out so that there's room for more productive thoughts. In quadrant three, it's often, oh, this is things that he's saying that just might be inspired. This is often not a direct quote, because as we just talked about, when we've got the spirit with us, it's shifting things. So this is the thought that came to my mind that I think is inspiration based on what he was just saying, but it's from what he said. And then quadrant four are, these are the things that I think I might be getting inspired with. Think is the key word. You don't have to share these things immediately. It might be the appropriate time. It might not be the appropriate time, but we're keeping track of, okay, all of this was going on, but I think this is at the heart of it. I think this is what he's saying that's inspired. I think this is what's going on that's really the meat, the important stuff that's happening. So an example of what this looks like in my life. So a few days ago, actually it was about a week ago, my daughter did not want to go to bed. She's home, so I'm going to lower my voice. She didn't want to go to bed. There are all sorts of reasons, I'm sure, but she could not handle that her instruction was to go to bed. And she was screaming at me and stomping her feet and all sorts of things. So things that I feel the need to disagree with. Let's see. One of the things she screamed was, you never let me get what I want. Excuse me. You're up later right now because we just got what we wanted. Like We took some time together because that's. A... So that was that would be my quadrant run one that that I never let her get what she wants. Quadrant two are going to be all of my snarky remarks back. I'm kind of a sarcastic person. So snarky remarks tend to be my go-to that aren't usually helpful in the scenario. As that escalated, we have a rule just in our home that when you're feeling really big, hard thing, take it, journal about it, write about it. And if you need to write me a letter to help me understand, you're welcome to. So the letter she came back with was, you are the worst mom ever with a picture about tears. And she labeled them tears. And I keep it right here because... This is what safe parenting looks like, everybody. <laughs> someone someone being able to tell me that I'm the worst parent ever. All right. So the thing that I need to disagree with right there, well, I'm not. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> You've not been abandoned. I haven't killed you yet. Like, I remember to feed you. I'm not the worst parent. That's what I, something I want to disagree with right there. Things that I want to get out of my head are things like, I haven't killed you yet. So clearly I'm not. That's not, not actually going to be helpful. Those are my quadrant ones and twos. Quadrant three. Not a direct quote, but an interpretation of meaning. What's actually happening here? Well, two or three notes later, I got one that said, oh, this isn't the one. If you want to come and try to comfort me, you can, but I just don't think it would even work. Well, not a direct quote, but I think my daughter's ready for some connection. That's what's going on in quadrant three for me. She's taken a breath and right now she just wants to connect. Quadrant four. There's something happening that I don't know about. That's what I thought. There must be something going on that I just don't know about right now. So we connect. I reach out to her. I she likes to have it with another letter. So I wrote back and I said, What you're hearing in your brain is not true. I do love you. I do care about you. Say a prayer. When you're ready to connect, come find me on the couch. Okay, I wasn't hiding from her, right? So she comes back up and we sit down and I've worked out the quadrant one and quadrant two. That's all out of my brain now. Now I'm trying to pay attention to quadrant three. 
keying into the spirit, what's actually going on here. And I end up finding out about really hard things that are happening at school. That actually this whole interaction had nothing to do with whether or not I was a good parent, whether or not I was doing what she needed me to do, and everything to do with this big thing that happened at school that we hadn't had a chance to talk about yet. That she hadn't had a chance to get out. And it was just too much. And it came out in yelling and screaming and stomping and mean letters. And so we ended up talking about that. Quadrant four, I went, everything she's explaining to me sounds like autism spectrum stuff. I think I need to have her tested for some autism. That was not helpful to share in the moment. Hey, 10-year-old, I think it might be this. It wasn't. But that's my, I think this is an inspiration. I don't need to share it right now. But this is some information for me to keep and to recognize that the Spirit's trying to also teach me because the Spirit's in our conversation and it's working with both of us right now. So that's my example from this week of what it looks like to work through these four quadrants with a 10-year-old. It looks different, but not a ton, depending on the age of the person that you're working with. It's really about connecting with the Spirit and recognizing that whatever is going on with them, they're probably saying something and that's getting distorted and I'm not hearing it. So what can I do to get the Spirit with both of us so that I can actually hear what's going on? Any questions or thoughts about these tools and preparing yourself to keep the spirit with you throughout conversations? I just wanted to comment that she had to have felt really safe with you to be able to do that. Because children who don't feel safe would not write a letter like that, telling you you're the worst mom. She felt really safe with that to know that you know, I, I, I just, that, that's, that's what came through for me, that, that this, this is a really special relationship because she does feel safe Thank you. because of the way you are, you are treating her. I also wanted to point out, and I'll see if I can find it, but Maurice wrote a, a, a blog about why kind of kids turn out the way they do. And I'll see if I can find that to link into that. That's really interesting, but it's not all our parenting. Yeah. You know? And but like you said, they, they, they come from another realm and, and you know, and we have on their own things. Yeah. Yeah. And when we do our very best to keep the spirit with us, that's, that takes away that fear again, right? That it, I don't have to see the right things and do all of the right things and make sure that I'm parenting in all of the exact right ways. Nephi described his parents as goodly, not fantastic, not amazing, not angels on earth. Now they were goodly parents and he was taught somewhat according to the gospel. <laughs> they didn't teach all things. They didn't do all things. They were goodly, like ish. If I had to describe them, it would be good, I guess. Right. And they taught somewhat according to the gospel. But with, with Nephi's ability to feel the spirit, that's what really made the difference between him and other people in his family was that he had the spirit to hear their messages. And so as a parent, my job is to just make sure I have the spirit and to give the spirit opportunities to teach. But after that, it's just letting them learn through the spirit. And I appreciate your thoughts on my safe parenting. I really do keep it. So just as people are like, well, this is really hard. Well, that's what safe parenting looks like. You're doing great. But it's all about the spirit. I have a question. Yeah. Were you? So she was writing to you these notes and she was supposed to go to bed. Did she go write those notes instead of go to bed or is this like the next day or something? 
Nope. She wrote those notes instead of go to bed. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering, can I really see how that would be a stalling technique too? Oh, for sure. Which is where the spirit comes in <laughs> because that slide of the tormenting that I hear when it's, well, she's supposed to be doing this anyway. Okay, Satan, <laughs> I recognize that. So spirit, I need you to jump in here. Is this the time where I need to go and really enforce bedtime? Because there are times when that's important. Is this the time when something else is going on? And for this particular interaction, this was the time when something else was going on. That's not always the case. Nor am I always in a place where I'm able to, to manage a situation with the spirit. That's not my, that's not my 100%. That's my very practiced, planned out in advance, figured out my personal boundaries for parenting, failed multiple times. This time I had a success that I could share. That's so tricky. It's so valuable to hear all of this because there's so many times where you think, well, the parents have to be the parents, which means the parents are in charge and you need to do what the parents say. And so to, to approach that in a different way where you're not approaching it in a way where if they're not doing what you say, then you're being a bad parent to see it like how can i understand the situation how can the spirit help this how could you yeah. you would have to totally reframe what you think good parenting is for me when we both have the spirit my kids will do what i'm saying <laughs> and when there's some reason why they aren't it's because there's some reason why they aren't mm -hmm. so it's always a, a key for me when they aren't doing it then i I try, try, hopefully more often successfully than not, to tap into what's actually happening here then. Because they'll typically do what I'm asking them to do. So if they aren't, there must be something happening. That's what I tapped into the other day, but that's not always where it goes. In our last couple of minutes, I would love to hear your takeaways. If you have a takeaway from this lesson, and if you have a request for something in the next two, we've got two lessons left. I have, th I have more things I can keep talking toward, but I want to make sure that we're hitting the things that are important to you. So a takeaway, and if you have something specifically you would like to learn about in the next two weeks. I just want to know strategies for, I really like the fact that you said don't, don't even listen or think if you don't have the spirit with you. Some strategies, you know, you gave us some exit strategies under, I guess, doing those. Is there, are there any techniques to, to, you know, really stopping ourselves and saying, you know, I don't have the spirit and this, you know, I really, I shouldn't be doing any of those things. Listen, speak, or think. Like, I don't know. I almost wish I had like a, a buzzer or an alarm that would go off on my phone the minute my blood pressure rises or something that would go, rah, 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 you know, you don't have to spend yep. with you. Your blood pressure's rising, you know, withdraw, withdraw, you know, those flashing. Yeah. Well, it takes, it takes some awareness. Go ahead, Karen. I was just going to say with Lucretia saying that, it makes me think like if you are having feelings and, you know, don't speak, don't listen and yeah, don't, don't, just all those three things, they're not coming to my mind right now. Yeah, don't talk, don't think, don't listen. You would have to know if you're going to withdraw what you're going to go and do instead. Yeah. yeah. 
because boy, are you going to get attacked? You're already under attack. But as soon as you leave the situation, more fuel will be added to the fire. So to be it, knowing what will we do when we withdraw? What In the chat, we have the idea of writing down the conversations and really anticipating the responses can be a good tool to help practice those. Thanks for that takeaway. Are you wanting us to respond to that question? Like, what do you do? I'm wanting to respond today to a takeaway that you've had from today and something you would like to hear. And then in the next lesson, we'll talk about what to do. Okay. I, my takeaway is that four quadrant thing. I think that's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that because I feel like you can, I feel like it's kind of similar to the truth that Mother's You Know does. Yeah. Where you're trying to hear what the lie is and you say the truth. So yeah, that's what it reminded me. But I think everything that you've taught was just so needed for me. So thank you so much. And I don't have anything right on my mind for in the future, but I know it will be very beneficial. Yeah, I, I agree. I felt like I've heard these things before, but as we were discussing it and we were going through it, all these conversations in the past room, like, that's why it didn't work. Oh. And it's funny, the spirit was teaching me in this moment saying, okay, yeah. So I, I can't wait to talk to my husband about what I've learned. I'm definitely going to be doing that. And I don't even know what to ask you to discuss because I didn't know this. So go with the spirit and go for it. Will do. <laughs> One of my takeaways was just, I've heard that Foursquare listening tool on recordings as well as in person. And this is the first time it's hit me. So I must have had the spirit or the spirit, spirit must have been working because I do not understand that it's right when you're communicating. Like for some reason that I just never, it's right when you're communicating. Like if you, the ideal situation is that both people would have a piece of paper. But even if you're the person you're talking to doesn't necessarily have one because they're not interested, it would be good for me to have one. And then I just was trying to, visualize myself saying, hold, <laughs> do I mean like you're talking? And then I'm like, okay, hold. Now I need to just hang on. I got to write something down. You know, it would like, you'd have to be like, we need to schedule this talk. It's going to take <laughs> extra long. Really sometimes. What's you know, interesting though, is when you slow it down, there's so much more that's said. Maurice often says that in a conversation, there should only be talking 25% of the time. That the other 75% of the time there should be con working with the spirit. And so this tool allows that. Hang on, let me finish writing this down. And then in that silence, now the spirit's working with you. The spirit's working with him. There's more things that you can write on your paper. And now I have a chance to respond to it. Mm -hmm. And so the conversation is actually productive instead of just piling on top of each other. That's so, oh, I just, I'm just thrilled about that takeaway because I just have been trying to understand and considering I even tried to to share it you know with my husband as well as one of my kids and anyway now that I'm hearing it I'm like yeah okay now I know how to describe that before it was my husband was like what I don't understand that you know <laughs> yeah so good right thanks everyone we will see you in two weeks all right. Yeah. Thanks so much. So good. Thanks, ladies, for being here. Thanks for listening. Did you note any questions? 
Well, get ready to note several wonderful things Mothers You Know has for you. But first, I want to express a special appreciation to the incredible women who added so much to this series. We love you, ladies, and thank you for your generous service to all of us. First, Tuesday, August 30th at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, come join us with your pockets full of your questions at our 90-minute Q&A with Ashley Lovett in our Warrior Mothers You Know meeting all about boundaries. You will be happy to know that Ashley Lovett is offering an awesome boundaries class starting in September. See more info about this in the show notes. You might want to get to know Ashley better. Check out our Like Dragons Did They Fight podcast channel where she shares her two-part story, episodes 119 and 120. August 23rd, our Stay by the Tree Messages of Hope webinar series starts at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. Ashley will be presenting her message of hope to us on August 30th. Join us Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Mountain Time for our online Mom Power Live meeting. All women have mother hearts. We are currently linking arms in our open enrollment Mom Power training series. This online self-paced class is free to all women. It offers a live connection with other moms who are seeking for more peace, purpose, and hope through Christ. Come and connect with us. We need you there. One of the super empowering things offered at Mothers You Know is Team Mom Power. Women are connecting weekly in small collaborative groups, applying Mom Power principles in attentive, powerful, heartfelt ways. We are stronger together. We are crushing the enemy of our soul when we defy isolation and power up with like-minded, Christ-centered women. Your team is waiting for you. And if you missed any of this information, it's all in the show notes. You are amazing and so appreciated for listening. We would love to hear what you're thinking about our Boundaries series. Let us know by emailing mothersyouknow at lifechangingservices.org. See you next time.